0: Well, hello and uh, welcome to another edition of Pep Talk, the persuasive evangelism podcast. I'm Andy Bannister uh, from Solas and I am, uh, well, I'm not joined by my co-host, Chrissy uh, Mayer from Oak Hill. She's got some strange theologians thing going on this morning and has left me flying solo. But I am joined uh, by a fascinating and wonderful and exciting guest. I'm joined all the way, well, not not that far actually from where I'm recording this. Uh, I'm joined by Tom Heisman, who's over in a bath. Tom, how are you
1: doing? Good to see or hear you uh, this afternoon. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I don't think I've ever been described as fascinating before. So I'll take that. Thank you.
0: Take that into the bank and uh, and yeah. uh, let that just inflate the ego slightly and then it'll come back down again when you listen to previous episodes and we've introduced most of our guests that way no just doubt. to no big doubt. them up. Um, kind of thing. But, but, Tom, you're a, you're a pastor, but you've been on a fascinating journey because when we first... Connected with you at Solas. you were you were a pastor at a Dun Donald, Dun Donald Church up in uh, London. Now you're at uh, Whitcomb Church down in in Bath. And my immediate thinking is there must be differences, uh, right? I mean, London and and Bath are not two cities that you often hear mentioned in the in the same sentence. So how has it been? How has it been transitioning from the the massive city to the to the slightly smaller one? Are there similarities? Yeah. Are there differences in terms of what you do?
1: Yeah. Um, um... Differences in terms of my role—I'll say a bit more about that in a moment. Certainly, culturally differences as well. Coming from London, uh, with the pace of life and um, pace of ministry, in many respects, and just um, eight million people in a big city and lots going on all the time. And just a certain—London's got its own kind of subculture, and um, which if you're from London, you'll you'll know. And um, so, coming out of that into certainly kind of West Country, you know, I was preparing myself for a, a change of gear, and it's been something of that. Um, to an extent, although Bath is a city in its own right, and it's a smaller city, obviously, by quite some margin. Um, so, But it still has all the same kind of city things in terms of a kind of mixed demographic and um, those kind of uh, needs um, within that city, seeking to reach out to it. But just having to learn a, a kind of different flavor of ministry in a slightly different part of the UK, but enjoying it. Mm. And are you finding as you as you learn that different
0: that different that different culture and the demographics being a little bit different? Are there kind of lessons that you learnt, particularly in terms of reaching the community, evangelism and outreach, are there lessons that you learnt in London that you're actually finding actually with a little bit of tweaking actually work perfectly well in, in Bath, even though the, the culture may have some differences? I I
1: think, yeah, at a root level in terms of trying to um engage a church family to think carefully and creatively about evangelism, I think those things Remain the same at a root level. Um, there are obviously differences, at, uh, um, just in terms of how your church is structured. Certainly, in London, lots of people still, you know, living pretty close to the church, and so they, you know, you can really do a work of engaging the local community because everybody lives locally. Whereas where I am now, people are travelling from forty-five minutes out to driving to get into the middle of Bath to come to church. So you're kind of dealing with people who are in living in little hamlets and villages all over the place, and so it's just a slightly different thing when you're thinking about. You know, let's go door knocking. Say, um, actually, it's in a community where lots of people aren't based. So, just having to rethink, I guess, what local evangelism looks like when lots of people aren't necessarily living locally.
0: Actually, before we we press into one of the other, two, a couple of the things we really want to talk with you about on this uh, on this episode, let's just press into that one a moment because, I, as you alluded to, I yeah, I grew up in London uh, where everything was quite local because it's so so big. I was in Toronto for for a while, Dundee uh kind of some like a swindon actually in some ways um is like that but uh, Solas, we also do loads of work with smaller churches in towns and medium-sized cities where exactly the situation you describe holds um is there any advice you'd have for sort of pastors who are wrestling with that question of going you know a lot of my congregation come from miles around so you know if you do an evening event at the church you know, are people going to be willing to drive an hour in to that or not how there's, there's, I don't, but I guess at the same time, there's also strength, right? Because you're influencing quite a wide area. What are some of the strengths and, and weaknesses, pros and cons of having that kind of distributed congregation? How and how have you kind of learned to work within that in terms of outreach? There's a bar, bundle of questions for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, to an extent, I want to say, it might be back on in two years and ask me again because I've, you know, I'm five months in here and I'm, just, I feel like I'm still learning the lie the land in terms of that respect. I think. Um, in terms of equipping church family evangelistically, perhaps in a London context, you might be able to run, you know, three consecutive Tuesday evenings or whatever at church where you're doing a bit of training or whatever it might be, or you could run something in house for so many people here that where I'm in, because people are traveling far and wide to kind of come here often, um, what we're trying to do is create a um, training platform where Sundays are really the focal point of your, you know, your, your training in your church life. So you come to church on Sunday, you gather with the Lord's people, um, and you might have a training session on Sunday for evangelistically, you might have a seminar or something else. So, you know, in terms of demands on people's time, we're saying, look, come on Sunday, give us your Sunday um, as we think about being equipped for for these sorts of things. And then the rest of the week go out into your, wherever you might be um, and do those things. So there's an element of that, I guess, with equipping people. Um, But also we really do want to be local. So we're not, um, uh, a church that's solely seeking to reach people 45 minutes away. So we do have a local community. There are thousands of people on our doorstep. So we do want to be intentional about reaching those guys. Um, So, but again, it's using Sundays for that. So it might be, you know, on Sundays after church, we go out and do not the local community or Sundays after church, we go and, you know, run a coffee stall when they're doing the bath half, um, half marathon near where we're near, near where our church is based. So it's just thinking about how, okay, when, when do we have everyone from church here with us? and using that time well, so either for training or for um, local mission stuff. But again, it's a work in progress, and I'm figuring it out as we go. So ask me again in a
0: few months. Ask you again in a a couple of years or whatever. But I guess one of the advantages that strikes me immediately in what you described is I know – some churches, in perhaps bigger contexts, where I, you know, have friends who are ministering, say so the challenge there can sometimes be that the Christians spend all of their time in church activities. They are there every night of the week doing doing something, which doesn't leave a lot of margin around the edge of the the, the sort of field, as it were, for for engaging non Christians. Whereas actually, the model you describe, right, presumably, that gives people that time and that capacity. Are, are you finding ways to then encourage people to be thinking about how they use that in terms of? friends and neighbors where they live?
1: I think that's um, what we're working towards, certainly. I mean, you know, I haven't made this stuff up. This is, you know, lots of this stuff's come out of uh, my reading of, you know, working through some of the Nine Mark stuff as well in terms of their philosophy of ministry, in terms of thinking, okay, well, you know, Sunday's a focal point, let's get the gathered community there together then, but then six days of the week you want to release people as much as they can to go into the world and um, be sort and light in their community. So I think that's what we're trying to do. Um, And then equipping people accordingly and and recognizing that it's not a kind of one size fits all approach in terms of training, because everyone's in different areas and spheres. So, you know, the person who's trying to reach their neighbor over the fence is going to be different to the person who's chance, their colleague at work. And so providing kind of more bespoke training, according to the situations, um, I think is helpful and we're, we're working towards that end. Um, but again, you know, you're not wanting to overload everybody because you could run training. For you know the next hundred years and there'd still be more to say. Um so you don't want to fill people's time up to such an extent that they're not actually going out and doing it.
0: Yeah, which perhaps ties into one of those kind of bigger pieces I, I alluded to earlier, Tom, which is the whole question of how do you how do you begin to grow that kind of culture of evangelism of the, that you've alluded to there in a in a church. I mean, obviously training is great, but if people haven't already caught the the bug and got the buzz that evangelism is something they want to be doing they need to be doing they're not going to sign up for the training anyway so it seems to me the cultural piece is the is the front end how do you how have you found works for that what are some of the ways that you can begin to kind of raise the temperature for evangelism in a congregation
1: i think i think there are i mean there are obviously unhealthy cultures of evangelism in the local church so um you know there's the kind of oh, we're too, too busy for this, I'll get to that later. You know, we've got umpteen other things we need to be doing. Maybe we'll come to evangelism later down, later down the road. There's that kind of culture. There's there's the um, stuck in a rut kind of culture, which is rinse and repeat. We've done this for the last 20 years, so we might as well just keep on doing it, whether that's run a Christianity Explore course, or that's not me knocking Christianity Explore, but run a Christianity Explore course or um, do it, an event. You know, we do a craft night every February half term so of course we're going to keep doing that and people kind of get stuck in a rut with regards to an evangelism culture um, or there's a kind of I guess a kind of chucking enough stuff at the wall and see what sticks kind of approach which is well we want to be doing some evangelism we don't really know what we're going to do so we're just going to kind of fire off stuff willy nilly and um, hope that something sticks to the wall and I think when I was at Dundonald certainly and then trying to apply it here and I've been helped in thinking this through Keller stuff and um, Ray Evans over, uh, over in Bedford on this just thinking about the kind of twin track approach of um, both encouraging people to inviting people to come and see something of Jesus. So that's what we're trying to do in our evangelism in church, inviting people to come and see, but also equipping our church family to go and tell the gospel. So if we're trying to do both those twin things in tandem, I think often churches can um, major heavily on inviting people to come and see. So they run a whole bunch of events all the time. They're running program courses um, and they think, oh, well, as long as we're doing that, then that kind of ticks the box of evangelism, job done. Um, and we kind of go a bit lighter on the equipping church family to go and tell because we think, oh, maybe that's for the specialist. Um, I think if we can try and create a culture in a church where we're doing both those things simultaneously, where we're providing a suite of things to invite people to come and see, but at the same time, we're equipping our church family intentionally to go and tell the gospel, those two things feed one another. Um, and so what I'm trying to say to staff teams or you know or my, my eldership team where I am now is but at the start of the year, say, as we kind of plan our year, let's be thinking about both those avenues. What are we doing to equip our church family to go and tell in whatever spheres they are? And also alongside that, how are we going to be inviting people to come and see? Because those two things are going to serve each other. Um, so we've almost kind of got that up on a flip chart. We're writing things down under each of those columns to make sure that we're not too overweighted in either one. Um, so I think that, that's that been a helpful framework, I guess, for us thinking about
0: I think it's very helpful, actually, the way that you separate those, but also see them interlinking. Because one of the things I've often, I've seen many churches run into and had friends who are in pastoral ministry run into is that, you know, if you start doing things like Christianity Explored or or Alpha or those invitational things, it can, can, depending on your church context, be relatively easy at first. You know, lots of people have got low-hanging fruit, perhaps spouses who aren't Christians, you know, friends who are sort of, you know, warm towards church. But then in a year or two, you've burnt through, all of your low-hanging fruit. Anyone who is going to come to that first wave of invitations has, and then things get that little bit harder, right? And presumably that's where the go-and-tell becomes helpful, that you've then got to go and start those new conversations to get people warmed up so that they are then ready to come when there's an invitation, right?
1: I think so. And I, th- I mean, certainly with the um, with the go-and-tell stuff, uh, what what we've really tried to major on as well is, you know, big thing I keep saying is we're trying to lower the bar. Um, and that's not to say we're watering down the content but we are trying to lower the bar so that everyone feels like they can have a go at going and telling the gospel because uh, often when it comes to this people can think oh i'm just going to leave that to the elite evangelist or to the pastor or whoever it might be um, but actually we want to encourage everyone in our church if you feel like they can have a go at this um so whether that's you know producing really accessible resources that aren't too wordy that f- people feel like they can have a crack at it in terms of um talking about jesus with somebody um or you know often lots of the training we're running is kind of pre-evangelism training. So um, actually getting to the point of having a conversation about Jesus. So we're not kind of spending weeks going through how to do two ways to live. We're thinking about, okay, but how do you get to the point of even having that conversation with somebody? Um, So just trying to lower the bar in it um, so that everyone feels like they can have a go. Same with the door knocking. So often with door knocking, um, we might have a specific door knocking team who are kind of going out doing it week in, week out. But also we're trying to encourage the whole church family, perhaps once a term, I'll do a morning, we'll do a kind of invite the community morning. And I say to church family, look, come along, meet me for half an hour at church. I'll give you some invites and I'll give you 20 homes to go on. Here are three top tips. Go and have a go and have a knock on the door and and, um, and meet some people. And it's just, we're just trying to, in all these kind of go and tell things that we're doing, we're just trying to lower the bar so that um, everyone in church feels like they can have a go. And that, and that generates a culture of evangelism, a healthy culture, because it's not just evangelism left to the kind of slightly zany individuals who, you know, um, are a bit out there and wildly extrovert, actually saying that everyone can have a go at.
0: I think the other place that's crucial, you know, Tom, I love that, that phrase lure the bar, as I look back to when I was a young Christian, I was so grateful that I was in, I was in a you know sort of church and a community where there were people who were doing evangelism who would be very happy to take along young people, and stuff. so so door knocking, like I yeah. am doing door knocking, didn't go quite as well, but you know I learned some stuff when I was fifteen, street evangelism, and then ultimately for me, speaker's corner, getting dragged up a stepladder at speaker's corner when I was way too young. Um, but I think, particularly with younger Christians and and, and youth and stuff, this is vital because otherwise they don't get onto, I was say, the conveyor belt, but they don't get onto that sort of process into evangelism becoming natural. Right. So I think that's um, I think that's brilliant. But look, you threw another word in there that I, we occasionally come across on pep talk, and I know some people are not quite sure what we mean by it. So you mentioned the word pre-evangelism. What what is pre-evangelism? I had someone ask me that the other day. They said, "Oh, I, I saw someone refer to that. What do we mean when we say?" Pre evangelism what is it and, and and why is it important how are you kind of leaning into it at what you're doing through the church there
1: I mean I think um what it is is the is the work the conversation and work that is done before being able to share the gospel with somebody so pre-evangelism isn't the work of sharing the gospel because that's caught up in the word evangelism but it's the it's the work that kind of needs to be done before that point sometimes um it's the kind of it's the tilling of the ground before the seed can be planted. Um, recognizing, I guess, that so many people in our culture are about a million miles back from even beginning to think about who Jesus is. And so you, you know, say, say something like Christianity Explored, working through Mark's Gospel, often, you know, I've found over the last five, six years, people are just not at the point of thinking, I want to read Mark's Gospel because they've got absolutely no interest. They've got no consideration to think that it might even be important to think about who Jesus is and why he came, what it means that he he died. Um, and so actually just work needs to be done to even get somebody to the point of thinking, actually, maybe this is worth thinking about. Um, so that, that's what we're kind of meaning by pre-evangelism. So thinking about how we listen well to people, how we ask good questions, you know, all that kind of Randy Newman stuff. Um, I think you might have had him on actually. Uh, yeah, got we had Randy on, somebody, on, here, on here, yeah. That's, that sort of stuff I just think really helpful as we um, tee people up to then gospel conversations. It's what I'm, we we um, put together, a, a call, in my old job, put together a course called Something Better, which is a kind of four-week, four sessions on humanity's pursuit of meaning and identity and satisfaction and hope, um, with the chance to discover how Jesus holds out the offer of something better, with precisely that aim in mind that it was um, to engage people who are coming from point zero, who've never thought about Jesus before, um, but who might just be thinking about some of these big existential questions with the view that that's really the on-ramp to then getting into a gospel conversation um from Mark's gospel or wherever it might be so it's it's that kind of pre tilling the ground work I guess which is important
0: I'm glad you mentioned something better because I think where I we first saw sort of came across you Tom when we first were chatting I remember you know seeing some of the videos that you put together round round that I mean quite quite impressed at the way you were leaning into those themes and if they're still on YouTube we'll put a we'll put a link in the show notes so people can go and watch some of those I I was going to ask about about that very issue actually is what you mentioned some of them. Are there other, are there other topics, other themes that you think really matter right now in culture that we can be we can be plugging into? Because, of course, you know the, the famous place in scripture everyone goes for. This is Acts seventeen where Paul, Paul does his old, old to the unknown god business. What, what are some of the other, you mentioned? You know, identity and meaning and stuff. Are there other, as it were, unknown gods in culture right now that we should be thinking creatively about how we use as starting points for conversations?
1: Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's lots and the list is in some respects endless, but um, and again, you know, Keller's really good on this. Glenn Scrivener's recent stuff's really good on this. Um, Certainly big themes at the moment, you know, thinking about things like justice and people's longing for justice, um, people's pursuit of freedom. uh, What does freedom mean? Um, I did a talk last night, actually, uh, and evangelistic event on our search for rest in a kind of weary world so just recognizing that we live in an age of overload just kind of constant noise from technology and busyness and that sort of thing and um, what does the search for rest look like within that framework and and signpost the Jesus within that Um, uh, stuff on linked to that stuff on anxiety I think is a big thing that we we can kind of speak into uh, as Christians so just some of these kind of cultural touch points that are underlying narratives that people are um, trying to figure out in their life, but often perhaps don't have the have a kind of full and coherent answer for. Um, trying to show them how actually Jesus makes sense of that in a way that nothing else does. Well,
0: that's r- very very helpful, and um, as you say, we've had yeah, Randy Newman and others who've played around with this for a, a long time. We've had on the the show as well. Well, look, we're almost at the um, at the twenty minute uh, mark, uh, Tom. So I guess one last question I'd like to sort of throw out to you would be. You know, I know sometimes Christians living in today's very kind of secular UK you can get a bit disheartened. You know, it, the news looks a bit depressing. You know, it wasn't that long ago the census came out and the media was making lots of you know hay out of the idea that Christianity is declining. Um, I get the sense listening to, to, to you talk, what you saw, you saw ministering in London, ministering. Well. You don't strike me as a as a glasses half empty person. You strike me as someone who's quite positive. And yes, there are challenges. So, are you excited about doing? Ministry, and if so, what 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 really excites you about doing church-based ministry in well, where you are now in somewhere like somewhere like Bath? What what gets you gets you fired up
1: to continue yep. doing that? Um, absolutely, you described my personality well, and also, I, I mean, in Maine, let me tell you one story perhaps from yesterday, just kind of normal church Sunday. In many respects, um, I was preaching in the morning on Mark ten one through twelve, just you know, not that straightforward passage on on uh, divorce and remarriage. And it was a heavy, you know, it felt like a heavy sermon um, as, as I was looking out across the room, but I had this remarkable chat with this guy afterwards who'd come um, for the first or second time, not a Christian, not thought about Christian things remotely, had a vague connection with somebody in the church and decided to come. And um, had one of the most engaging evangelism conversations that I've had in about a year with this guy off the back of this sermon on divorce and remarriage. And you know, we're we'll hopefully meet up later this week for for a drink to kind of chat next steps and, and what next. And I th- and I just I think I left that thinking, particularly given that in the evening we had we then had this kind of big evangelistic event. I le- I got home last night, late last night, thinking, man, the most powerful evangelistic conversation I've had today was not off the back of this evangelistic event we ran in the evening, but it was off the back of some guy coming to a sermon on divorce and remarriage, which if I was gonna pick an evangelistic talk, that would be about right down in the bottom one percent of, of passages to go to. Um and I think it re- it reminded me that for all the kind of go and tell come and see stuff, the principal aim and everything is I just want to get people to church on a Sunday. Like I, I want to get people into the into the room on a Sunday to see the gathered community, to see the plausibility of people meeting together who actually believe this stuff, um, who are singing, who have joined the Lord, um, and also to hear the word preached. Because actually, that's what that's where the power is. Right? It's as the Spirit works through the the proclaimed word of God even if that's on a passage like Mark 10, 1 through 12, that's when we're going to see lives changed. Um, and so, yeah, I'm really excited for ministry now in Bath, as I was in London, um, that the Lord might do a wonderful work of calling people to himself through weak um, clay jars as we are because his word is powerful um, and because, uh, yeah, his word won't return to him empty. So that that encourages me to keep going. It encouraged me as I you know, sat down this morning to start work on next week's sermon. It's not an evangelistic talk per se, but I'm praying that there'll be unbelievers Mm. in the room and that people will get converted as God's word goes out.
0: What a great prayer. Well, Tom, that was great. Thank you for uh, for ending there so enthusiastically and inspiring us. So it's um, been great having you on Pep Talk. Thank you for taking the time. And uh, God me. bless all that you're doing down there in Bath. And uh, I hope everyone listening found some of what Tom shared helpful, we'll put links to those videos I mentioned into the show notes. so You can see uh, Tom in action showing how the gospel connects some of those big themes in our culture right now. And uh, i hopefully joined by Christy. We'll be back here in two weeks' time with another guest and another episode of pep talk thanks for listening